Welcome to The Real Deal, where we get real about what it takes to succeed. Whether it's wealth, health, relationships, or finding your purpose, we talk to the masters to uncover the secrets to defying the odds and creating your own rock star legacy. I'm Doug, and after working on multiple Grammy-winning records as an author, transformational speaker, and your personal translightenment coach, I'm committed to your growth and success. And now, here's the real deal. All right. Today's episode of The Real Deal On is brought to you by GuidedHypnotic.com. That's GuidedHypnotic.com. Are you feeling stressed, anxious, and you're ready to bust that anxiety once and for all? Download your free anxiety buster guided hypnotic meditation at GuidedHypnotic.com. All right. So... I'm sponsoring my own show, as you can imagine here. (laughs) (laughs) Behind the curtains. There you go. So, welcome. We have an amazing, amazing opportunity here to gain some incredible knowledge from Vincent Dowd. Sabotage patterns, excuses, fear. Chasing these are the thought patterns of most people that hold them back. These are the thoughts that most people have running through their minds daily, but they are not their own. Their mind has been hijacked and viruses have installed, have been installed that run your life. Our special guest today is Vincent Dowd, and he removes these thoughts, recalibrates the thinking to upgrade the thinking patterns to amplify presence. In presence, you will find you advance your possibilities as you stop chasing money and as it starts chasing you. When your relationship starts to work and bloom in a new way and your life starts working from the inside out and your true nature of authenticity shines through. Vincent is an internal abundance strategist, an options and stock trader, financial literacy expert who represented large brands such as Shark Tank's Damon John and Rich Dad Organizations and others. He's an international speaker, mentor, and consultant, trained over 300,000 people in over 40 countries and has shared the stage with my mentor and pal, Tony Robbins and Pitbull. And to top it all off, Vincent is a yogi. So, dude, thank you so much for for investing your most valuable asset, right? Your time in everyone who's participating in this and engaging in a an enlightening, elevated, authentic conversation. Um, the quick background: we met. You were speaking at an event in uh, in Fort Lauderdale, and I came down, and I just you, you are you are authentic. You're a a very like uh, personable. You're a fantastic speaker and trainer. Uh, you're like spot on in, in everything that you're doing. And I was like, man, I want to really connect with you even more because you know I aspire to hang out with people whose normal is the level you play. So thank you so much for uh, for joining us, and I look forward to to learning even more about you. Thank so. you. Sir. I want to thank you for inviting me. First of all, it was great to uh, get that connection, and also. I would love to have you uh, uh, be in my pocket for the voice of everywhere I go because that's a great voice you have. So I love that. <laughs> Thank you so much. Well, it's all that uh, years of training, isn't it? Um, so tell us about yourself. You started to, we shared a little bit earlier about your, you know, what authentic elevation is and what brought you to that point because you have a, an amazing bit of history and you're doing so much that idea of presence that that is for for many a reinvention or a pivoting to stop being maybe who they think they should be and just be who they truly are 
what put you on this path? Because I've been, you know, obviously paying attention to your your work and so forth, and I love it. I love tuning into your your stuff, your sacred images and sacred geometry. All those other things are are so important and brilliant. What how? Where did you get all that? Interesting uh, question. And you know, it's funny when I look back at my life, and I think it's like Steve Jobs said, you know, you don't notice how your life has worked out until you connect the dots looking mm-hmm. back at it. And, you know, starting off in my life, I came from a family that had no money and we had a lot of fights and a lot of alcoholism, a lot of abuse and violence. So I always heard the money issue as the main reason that uh, there was so much challenge in my family. And I thought maybe that's the answer. If I just make a lot of money, then I can fix my family. I can live a better life. So, I didn't, that's what was my goal. I just wanted to make a lot of money and I didn't have any purpose other than making money that I knew of. There was a bit bigger purpose because we all have that, but I mm-hmm. didn't know. So I went on that journey and I made money and all those things, but I didn't fix the parts of me that were still broken inside and fragmented. So the, the journey was that I kept trying to please people. And we learned that from the time we're children, when our parents say things that we hear because kids are very intelligent and a lot of parents don't get this, but I understood things at four years old at a level that probably maybe all people do, but I just knew when they said things that were not okay, I I was not okay based on the energy. I knew that if I was going to be okay in the family, I had to hide. I had to uh, please, I had to conform. And by doing that, I started to lose myself, the real me, the authenticity and break apart who I am. And as I did that, I became a miserable person, but trying to find a way to come back to wholeness, I thought it was in money. So there's a lot of that splintering that goes on that caused me to um, lose myself. And eventually I started to find myself. And that's a whole nother story, but that's kind of how it started. If that mm-hmm. So it, you grew up with no money. Are you, did you have siblings? Yes. I had uh, interesting there because I, I was the third child. Uh, but before I was born, my brothers, I had a, a brother five, his name is Jeff, and then Lanny was six. And because my dad couldn't make money, he had sent them to uh, Kansas to live with my mom's parents. And on one summer day, those little boys in the hot heat of Kansas found a swimming pool down the street and they kind of got out of the yard and they started jumping in. And so the older one drowned. Oh my goodness. And it, just, it really caused a, a major issue in the family because my dad flew back and he blamed everybody, he blamed my brother who was five. And oh. so somewhere in the next year, they wanted to have another kid and then I was born into that mm. family of dysfunctional heartbreak. And that was uh, a whole different experience, obviously. And I, I think we'll probably touch on some ideas of addiction. What what did you have, what was your exposure to addiction when you, you shared that? Was there, you said there was addiction in the family. Yeah, well, so, uh, all I remember is my dad drank all the time and he was a violent drunk. Uh, they, I'd be up till two 30 in the morning listening to my parents scream. My mom drank too, but I couldn't tell who was who based on my dad's anger, but right. my mom would stand her ground. And so there was all that, no money. Um, so never saw them. And then when you, you did see them when they were fighting and not happy. And so there was a lot of addiction around alcohol, but I'm sure there's other addictions I didn't notice then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that definitely, in my studies, I'm sure you as well, Doug, know, um, like I started to look at family constellations and the energetics of, of 
the energy and the genetics and epigenetics of what goes on in our ancestry that actually we can heal, but I didn't know anything about that. And that's mm -hmm. probably part of the waves that were coming across my family. Wow. Okay. So did you, you, where did you grow up? Denver, Colorado. Oh, so you grew up in Colorado. And then when did you leave? Like, how did that, that pass? You know, I know you shared you're living here in Florida, but um, did you stay there? Or did when you were going on your pursuit for finances and so forth, was that a reinvention of where you just changed people, places and things? Or were you able to create that in your environment? Well, I'm one of those people that couldn't sit still from the time I was in school. I mean, I'm a wanderer. Um, and so I, I left a lot. I always mm -hmm. ended up coming back to Colorado. It's like my home, but I'd always go to try to find somewhere. And I'm sure like a lot of people, I was seeking happiness, a mm -hmm. place, something outside of myself. So I've been, I lived in London. I lived in Seattle. I was in the Air Force in Omaha. I lived in you know, Florida and I lived in an ashram. I, I've been all over. And uh, so every time I left, it was a new lesson. Um, so I, I really... I really, when I left, really, that's when I started to make money. I didn't really find it there in Denver. I was working in corporate jobs and I couldn't stand that. So I just went on this journey to figure out how to make money. And that mm -hmm. led me first to, uh, to uh, Seattle, Washington. And what was your first, uh, I guess, your money-making opportunity? Well, the, f the first real, because you know, I started businesses when I was 16 and 19, mm -hmm. and this, but the, the big money started coming in when... Um, I moved to Seattle, I started to trade the stock market, options trading, and I learned to make money using leverage. And that's where I started to make a lot of money. That was during the dot-com run-up, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, and then I wanted to be a speaker because that's what I always wanted to do, share with the world. And I never thought it'd be the stock market and I was doing so well trading, they asked me if I would go represent their brand around the United States. And I was like, wow, I'd love to. So I ended up making a lot of money doing that as well. So teaching and then also making money trading. Got it. And obviously you're still doing that. Um, yeah, I do. I don't do it to the same capacity because the market's right. been rigged and there's, but I still, I have some trades on right now that have done really well in the last couple of days, but I still do that because uh, I enjoy it, but not where I want to sit in front of a screen all day. Not that type of. Right. But so again, multiple streams of income, multiple streams of inspiration, multiple streams of, you know, spiritual intake, right? It's like the buffet of, um, input to fulfillment. We have so many ways to do so. So after you started speaking and all that, obviously that probably excited your desire to touch, move and inspire people. Um, you were doing it on a professional level on speaking. Uh, how did you start making that transfer into the personal, the authenticity and, and um, helping people really realize their true potential? Well, for me, I mean, I had a heart for this since I was a little boy. I mean, I got into martial arts when I was 12 and I became a black belt at 16 and had my first class, which was amazing because it was my own business. And I loved what I did and I loved influencing and seeing these kids come in, these adults, and changing their entire belief systems and watch them grow because of their confidence. So that was the spark. So as I went through as a trainer and did all these things, I always had that seated in there, even though it was about making money in different areas. But what really was the catalyst for this is I had, uh, during the dot-com crash of 2000, I got wiped out about 70% of my net worth uh, in the stock market because I learned how to make a lot of money, but I didn't learn, and maybe I did, but I wasn't paying attention to the risk management aspects. 
-hmm. So I got wiped out and that was very um, tragic on my ego. And after about a year of sucking my thumb and saying, I'm going to come back and do it again, I went out and started making money again. And this time I said, I'm going to do it right. I'm going to put it in real estate. Little did I know that was right before the big crash. <laughs> so this time I got wiped out of everything. I started losing houses in Florida and this is domino effect as, as you yep. might know. And then I lost my parents both passed away. My, my uh, partner um, of seven years, we broke up. So I was losing everything. And I thought whoever this God is hates me, you know, and I had this belief system that I must be being punished. And, at the time, I thought it was the worst thing that could happen. I lost everything. And I was listening to a book, and I'm sure you've heard of it, Doug, The Power of Now by Eckhart mm -hmm. Tolle. Yep. And I was driving in my Mercedes, and he's saying some people have to lose everything, including their health, to wake up. And I was going through all of that, and it gave me such hope that maybe there's a bigger picture. And over the course of time, I had a friend of mine who I had done yoga um, he didn't even like yoga, but he lived across from me in Orlando and he got wiped out too. And he called me and said, he's <clears throat> an ashram living in the forest and sitting at the feet of a master guru of 87 years old uh, in yoga. And he said, come here, you can live for free and you can study under the feet of a master. And I'm like, well, I'm broke. It sounds weird, but I'll do it. <laughs> and that's where it started to change big time for me. Uh, there's other things that led up to that, but I think, it'd be way too long to talk about everything, but that was probably a big catalyst. And that ashram was in India or in Orlando? No, it's, a, it's a Cala, Florida uh -huh. in the forest. And it's, it's uh, Amrit Desai. So uh, he started, if you've heard of Kripalu, the largest mm -hmm. holistic health, he started that. Wow. Uh, and then he left there, a uh, whole thing went on, but then he started another ashram years ago and that's where I lived. <laughs> Amazing. How long did you live there? One year. Was that and the plan I, or that you just, after the year, you were like, okay, I'm ready. Well, you know, I didn't know what it was going to be. I, 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 to be honest, my intention to go there was probably not the same as the universe's intention. <laughs> my intention was just to have somewhere where I could hang out and, you know, not stress out about having no money and, and everything fell apart. Uh, but what I had, I, I started studying something called yoga nidra. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. I'm not sure. So the yogis call it yogic sleep, and it's like meditation, but it's laying down, and it's guided. So in the process, uh, you, have, you start to have visions because your body falls asleep, but you're still awake, mm -hmm. conscious. So I started to have visions like a dream, and I saw before me, just like today, and it showed me all the poverty in my life, and it like showed it all to me, and then it disappeared. Then it showed me the wealth that I've been chasing, and it disappeared. And it kind of showed me that these two things are both the same, and they're illusions, on the, on the uh, binary or dualistic fan. Mm -hmm. And for me to chase wealth because I'm running from poverty is fear. And yeah. the fear is the problem. So they, it kind of showed me in this process that until I can be okay with poverty, I can never be okay with wealth because it's an external thing of beliefs. So then I, I got it. And once I started to kind of have these things fall in the line, just things started to come up after that year. And then I had opportunity to go speak with Damon John uh, from the Shark Tank, and it was a huge opportunity. And I didn't chase it; it kind of found me. Mm -hmm. I was like, "This is weird," because I used to have to chase money, and now it's like opportunities started to present themselves. And how you went from having tons of opportunity, you lost everything, or seventy percent, then built up, 
great real estate portfolio, lost everything, then spent a year in an ashram having your own spiritual awakening. And then what at that point, you know, with Damon John, how did like, what, what were you going to speak on at that point? That's where, yeah, that's where I went into basically business, you know, so the business they wanted, and it was more of a preview event to help his people kind of be introduced to his systems. Mm-hmm. So it was not really a, a training as much as it was more of a, a, a sales. Uh, right. Training. No, of course. Well, everything is sales. How, how did that come across to you? Like, where were you? I know spiritually you were centered, but were you still in the ashram or had, had you left? No, I had, I had left right before that. And I had another opportunity that I was speaking on, similar, but on real estate, which was funny because I was talking about the, uh, uh, the losses and the fact that I know how to lose a lot. I made money, but I also know how to lose it, which is a better teacher than somebody yeah. just made money. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I didn't enjoy this company, the brand, and then it came up with Damon. And I, I love that because I love the Shark Tank. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Damon's story is pretty cool. And that's where it came from. But then after a while, I realized I don't feel fulfilled because I always put in my, my teaching, no matter what I'm doing, because it has to be me. And I started to realize this is calling me more than, than business uh, mm-hmm. and helping people to make more money. I, I had something deeper that I want to share. And that's where I decided to start my own coaching brand. But it, it took some time because from there I went and I think you met me as teaching for another entrepreneur mm-hmm. around the world. So it took a little bit of time for me to develop this. Mm-hmm. But then I started to get that calling to start Authentic Elevation. Beautiful. Well, and by the way... Uh- I, I still occasionally will do some stuff for Tony and all of that because I believe in the process. I believe in him and I, I also have an abundance mindset. You know, I celebrate what you do. We do very similar work and at the same time, there are going to be people who are going to resonate with you versus me or both. And like, I, I don't come from that, ooh, let me, you know, I can't have someone else, you know, who we do similar stuff. I'd rather align and collaborate because I, you know, I think there's so much there. So when another person, if, you know, another entrepreneur or company says, hey, you want to come, you know, even if it is to warm them up and, and get them in an open mindset. I do that a lot. Like, are you still doing real estate? Um, not right now. I, uh, I, I wanted to, because I've seen so many bubbles, I, I consider mm-hmm. the fact that I kept getting into bubbles. I want to start looking like Buffett says, when there's blood in the streets, that's when you go buy. I was buying when you know, my right. blood was in the streets. That's the problem. Yeah. So I've been looking at this. And of course, with this current event, I thought for sure we would have a much harder uh, situation in the economy than a V-shaped recovery. I'm still concerned that there's a lot of issues. So I'm, I'm really looking and observing at what's happening economically before I dive in. But Right. Well, there will be opportunity. And uh, I bring it up because I'll, I'll connect you with uh, a dear friend of mine who's he's in Boca, a little bit north of you. Um, but uh, his, he's got the brick, the Boca Real Estate Investment Club. And he's been doing it for 30 years or 25 years. He's been doing it for 30. The Boca Real Estate Investment Club brick has been around for 25 or 26 now. And David, when he holds events, I'll come and speak to, you know, I'm an investor as well. But, you know, I speak on the mindset necessary breaking through the beliefs, not sucking, getting sucked into the, the stories and all of that. And um, so we'll, we'll hang out with him and, and so forth and great group, but um, there will be opportunity coming. It's just going to be maybe in a different form, you yeah. know, and it's it really being aware right now. And yeah, I, I think 
people are very, I think, excited that it was a V shape so far, but I still think there's a lot of residual. There's a lot of stuff still in the pain in the pipeline, as it were, um, which is, is very unfortunate. That's something that I really appreciate what you've been doing as well is being a light and being, being willing to ask some of those questions that others are not necessarily willing to ask. So I think, you know, you're helping people live vicariously through the questions that you're willing to ask. Um, you know, the silent majority, you know, and I, I play a little bit of that too, where I'm like, man, you know, I just see a lot of pain. And all I would like to do is support the, the forward momentum of healing, whatever that looks like. And for me, and the reason why I also touched on the addiction, and maybe you can see some patterns and you've already seen it, is that it's almost like it's addiction now, I believe. I think people have gotten addicted to the news. They've got addicted to the the negativity. They've gotten addicted to the drama. They're getting addicted to the anger, to the frustration, to the bitterness, to the the victimhood. Um, And I know you've been playing a, a huge part in helping people break out of that, but it, it, to me, it, it looks like addiction. It looks like someone's relapsing and, you know, they're, they're just going to get a case of the efforts and, you know, losing it. I don't know if that's similar to the, the model that you've been processing, how you've been helping people, because you have that history. I don't know if you've noticed it that way. Mm, well, thank you. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, though. There's a lot of addiction that's coming out and a lot of, uh, you know, they, they always say at, at the ashram, they always say energy follows attention. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what we focus on, we get more of, and it's so true. And I'm realizing as I see on my pages, uh, even Facebook, how many people are so angry, uh, whether it's the riots, COVID, Trump, whatever it is. But what, what I see is, is, and this is through meditation and downloading, that we're just projecting into the mm-hmm. universe who we are. So the anger is coming from us. Nobody outside of us can cause that. It's inside of us. So. Um, you know, Guru Dev would always say, we all have hot buttons and people come along to push those buttons. And the first thing we want to do is get rid of the person because it agitates us. But everybody that pushes our buttons is our greatest teacher mm-hmm. because when we know that we have a button, we can, they're shining light on it. We can then look at our button and say, what do I have to do inside of myself to heal? And then when I have the power back, nobody can push my button because I don't have one. And that's where the power is given back to us. And so for me, I got to honor anybody that causes me to react. Mm-hmm. As long as I can catch myself reacting, then I know, that, okay, got to keep working on this. Um, and so if people would look at it that way, maybe, there's the, maybe the greatest things are coming because of the worst things that they can believe are happening. And I yeah. found that to be true in my life. That the worst things that I labeled became the best things. I 100% agree. And, and the, the idea of how quickly we want to get out of that pain. You know, that's really the question. Cause there's nothing like, I don't wrong someone for being, feeling what they feel, whatever it is being hurt, being agitated, whatever that is. Then the question is like you said, okay, well what just, what in me is responding that way? And then do I want to live there? You know, and I see it like use buttons, I triggers. Like I, people are getting triggered up all the time, past traumas. Um, you know, from my perspective, I, one of the things growing up, I always felt like I was misunderstood. Yeah. Like that was, that was my thing. And then now I'm feeling more misunderstood than ever because when you raise a question like, Hey, I'm, you know, just just asking a question here, you know, and people getting upset just for posing the question. 
Absolutely. And, right. And then Heidi, my wife, you know, she was abused growing up. So she's seeing this as abuse, you know, between the COVID and then seeing, you know, what, you know, the Black Lives Matter, like they're, they're right to feel what they feel based on their model of the world. We're not denying that, but she's going, ah, oh, it's like, you know, when people say, you know, if they're trying to defend themselves, meaning like people who feel attacked and they're going like the, with the all lives matter, that whole thing, then she's getting triggered because it's like the abuser not admitting there was any abuse. And yeah. it's, and it's just, this like, it's crazy how it just, it, and then when you step back even further and then you get meta, then you're like, this is, this is all being manipulated. Like, look at how, like, if you just step out, this is like the matrix and yeah. it's bizarre. And there's, it's really difficult to have that because I love everybody and I really want to understand where people are coming from and appreciate where they're at. And it's, that's even challenging because it's, a, you know, it's painful. I agree. In fact, you have the same uh, view as I do. And, and, you know, I've gone through many views on this because over every year and every development process we go through, we start to see differently from our perspective. And now I look at it and I see this very clearly now, which I wouldn't have before because I lived in a lot of depression and misery a lot of my young life up until my uh, heck, early 30s probably um, because I, I really was still messed up inside. But when I started to realize that, the, the for example, racism, and this challenges people's thinking because maybe they have cognitive dissonance and they, they, they don't understand how things work. And, you know, last night I was watching uh, Vishan Lakahani in Story Mind Valley. He talked about four levels of consciousness. And I've seen how I've grown through those, but there's a lot of people that still haven't. And I got to understand that they won't see it the same way. But my belief is that we all have racism in us. Mm -hmm. The only reason we see it in the world is because we're projecting it from ourselves. And black people have racism. I've, I've had the same thing happen to me. That, and I've done the same thing, whether it's in my thinking and not doing anything, just the thought about it, you know, causes the energetic vibe. Mm -hmm. What I'm coming to understand is we are all inside of ourselves projecting into the world and it's a mirror reflecting back. And, and what I see happening that a lot of people don't understand is they're trying to fix the world by changing the mirror. Like if you get up in the morning and, and you're putting lipstick on the mirror, you might think you have lipstick on, but when you leave the house, you haven't changed anything. Yeah. And, and, the, and the world's not going to change until we look at ourselves in our meditation, in our solitude, and say, how am I contributing to the war, to the violence, yeah. the hatred, and the separation? And I think it's partly because we fragmented ourselves from the time we were born with the programs that others have installed in us. It, Doug, when my mom and dad, you know, and I knew, I, I'm gay, as, as people may know, but I didn't want to be, and I didn't come out until I was 38, when I was a little boy, I could hear clearly that you're not okay. So that mm. part of myself that whatever that meant as a four-year-old, I knew I was different, but I said, okay, you're not okay. I'm going to crucify you. I'm going to put you over in the corner. I'm going to avoid you. I'm going to be somebody else. I, I, I couldn't break my body, but I broke my being mm. and I fragmented my spirit. And each day we do that, which so many do this every day. We have a broken, fragmented human being trying to find the whole world, but they haven't created wholeness in themselves. And that is my journey for me. And then I can see the world more holy. So that's, that's kind of where I think we need to go to heal. Uh, dude, couldn't agree more because that it does. It all starts from within. And it, oftentimes, you know, the, with all of the pain and we, and it's not a, to sound cliche, but oftentimes, you know, when we get so angry at someone, something, some organization, some attitude, some anything, 
you know, that old saying that's like taking poison and expecting the other person to die. And like, it just, we, and it's a personal journey because I I see it now and this is what saved me. And I'm guessing you to to come to this place is when you're not feeling a certain way, the, the personal responsibility is what role am I playing in this? Like, what do I need to believe in order to feel this way? What meaning am I giving to this experience that makes me feel this way? And then be willing to question it. So, yeah. Is that true? Is this really what's going on? Like, did, did that person, I can't tell you how many times in life, and I'm sure, you know, you've experienced it in others where someone said something and you made a decision as to what that meant based all of your decisions, subsequent decisions on that and went down a completely different path that was non-resourceful, that was painful, that maybe even took you in a worse place only to find out that's not what the person meant. Yeah. Yeah. And And it's powerful what you say about the meanings, because this is a thing in the last few years that I've realized is as children, we had no way of knowing what things meant with a, you know, very uh, undeveloped little boy, little girl mind. And so when we see our parents say something or do something, we put meaning on it. Mm -hmm. And then now that's the virus. That's the program that runs our life. If it's moving us in a negative direction, we can reprogram that. But the thing is, I had so many meanings that perhaps had nothing to do with the truth, but that's the way I saw the world. And so my life became a reflection of my thinking and my emotions around that. And then the actions were just dictated by those. Yep. I, as a master practitioner and trainer of NLP, I, a lot of sometimes work I'll do is in parts integration because that little, that little, little person inside of us makes a decision based on the resources they had at that time. Absolutely. But that does, that's not what it meant. You know, like I remember growing up, um, I, uh, I was a little bit of a pill popper growing up. Um, I ate uh, baby aspirin. That was like my thing. And I would hide the baby aspirin. Like I would just take some and hide them all over the place. And then one day I uh, ate a whole bottle of Cyanade, the sinus medication. Oh, wow. And um, I was like four, three or four. And um, I had to get my stomach pumped. And uh, so I went to the hospital and I remember waking up. And my parents were mad. My mom, when my mom told my dad he was at work that I ate a bottle of cyanide, he heard cyanide. Oh, wow. So he's freaking out. So here they are. They're, they're in the hospital. They're losing their minds. They're full of fear and pain and, and, of course, some anger. So when I woke up and I come through, come through they're like, do you have any idea what you did to us? Wow. So here I am, three, making, you know, getting like, oh my gosh, I caused pain. Yes. And I don't even know what I did. Like, I, so like a people pleaser growing up, then I, like, I became hypersensitive. Part of my, the, the questions I would run through my head is, you know, how can I not hurt this person because I cause pain and I sometimes don't even know what I'm doing. And, but those stack, right? And then next thing you know, you become a people pleaser. You're always judging yourself and like worrying about it. So of course I always felt out of place. Not to mention I was just being myself anyway and and unique and and different to begin with as we all are. So it's just an interesting thing where I look back and doing the work, then you go, oh, well, that's what happened. And you can look at it and share the story like what to do. But so many times people think that once they have that aha moment, that it all goes away. But the programs are still there. The virus is still there as you share. 
and it's it's do it the work doesn't change whether or not you have awareness that's true that's really true and that's what's interesting with all these things that are going on right now we're like i'm a fan of the awareness i believe the conversation needs to be had because it's real for some people the challenge becomes for some is well okay yeah what what are we going to do about it and then it goes back to it's back to inner work and how do we then step back and go i can only do the work i can do um and I think where what I love what you're doing is helping people create that authenticity, be their, their authentic selves. Yeah, thank you. And you know, that's the thing too, when I started looking at what is authenticity, because when you grow up not being authentic, and a, a lot of people, I, I don't even know the numbers, but I would assume most people probably are not authentic because they've all learned programs to be what they need to be for somebody else's, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's the roles we play, a thousand different personalities that we contain within us. And I started to ask myself, what is authenticity? You know, and one of the, the guys that I studied, Dr. Martin Ball, he's, he's like, you know, if you think about a dog, a dog doesn't censor itself. When it feels the energetics to bark, it barks. It doesn't think, well, I wonder what the neighbors are going to think, or I wonder if my owner is going to get mad at me. It, it moves based on energy based on instinct. So allowing the capacity for what I think is, whatever you call God, uh, divine force, isness to move through, uh, we've got to stop resisting and then that authenticity is just moving through us naturally. But we often think we know better. So I'm still learning as I go what authenticity means in my life and how to be more fully authentic. Uh, and that's important to me because it's not gonna please people uh, people don't like me to be authentic because it makes them uncomfortable. Uh, but that is what we got to look at is what's that mean? You know? Well, and I think what you shared here too is something that I teach is, is presence and that authentic presence when you're authentically present with that person, even if that person is not comfortable with it and you're present with yourself you're okay with it anyway and that you're there's no judgment and you can appreciate that it's you know that person has whatever's going on with them no judgment um and when we stay in that space of love respect honor someone can have their moment and that's okay i mean working in the addiction field we saw that all the time where you know people were just going through waves of anger frustration depression and it would come out at us and we we would just stay in a space of love and and respect and i think that way you know again not to sound cliche but i think when we allow our authentic love and presence out that becomes curative to the the pain in the situation in the moment you know doug there's a good point there and it just came to me that um i think a lot of people really haven't experienced love and what i mean by that is when society talks about love it is not love and for me growing up, I never felt loved. I felt like it was a conditional love, which right. if I did this and that, I would be loved. If not, I'm kind of screwed because I have to figure out how to live my own life with nobody around. So the more I've been meditating, the more I've been um, being present, I I've realized that love is the natural state, the ever-presence presence, or ever-present presence that's the backdrop of everything. And because we're so, so many people are trying so hard to find the love, they're actually creating the obstacles where if we stop trying to find love, love is naturally who we are. Mm -hmm. When we drop 
the viruses, the programs, the rocks we've been carrying, it is our true nature. But we don't have to find it. We just need to drop what is not love. And that's the key. It's like I, I, all my life I went looking for love. And, I, you know, I became a born-again Christian when I was 12 because I felt like they said uh, Jesus was going to love me unconditionally, right? And here I'm at 12, hitting puberty. I know I'm gay. I know my family. And I'm like, maybe Jesus will love me. So I'm like born again. I, I go to school with my Bible. I'm, you know, saving souls, whatever. And yet, as I did that, I started to hear the, the preacher, and I started to realize they don't really love me because they said, now I'm going to hell. If you're gay, you're going to hell. And all of a sudden, I'm like, well, wait a second. That's, I thought it was unconditional. Now there's a condition. So I was going to commit suicide. Uh. And I'm like, I can't beat this. But then he said, if you commit suicide, you're going to hell. I'm like, well, maybe I won't kill myself too. <laughs> maybe I'll go try a bunch of At, at like least a- that helped you. <laughs> That was one good thing. Yeah. <laughs> that one statement might have helped a lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so you always uh, knew that you had something to offer, though. I'm going to hallucinate that even though you felt out of place, even though you were having the, that inner conversation based on external references and all that. It's, it's sounding like, and that's, I think, why I also connected with you just, you know, watching you work is that you, you, have that that it right that and what I and that it what I mean is everyone can develop presence and all of that but you have um, like I could sense your heart I could sense that you genuinely cared for the people that you were communicating with you gave everyone you know time you know we I saw you very I knew you were busy so I just said hey I'd love to reach out to you I'm going to reach out and, and then I let you you know obviously go because you had a bunch of people wanting to talk to you for good reason um, was this something you always felt even growing up? Like when you were young, did you always feel like you were destined for more? Like you had something to share? Well, it's funny. Good question, by the way. And thank you for uh, that. Uh, nice, nice words you said there. Um, when I was a little boy, even though we had so much going on in the environment around me, I always felt very heart oriented. Even the nativity story, I was very connected to it because of the magic of beyond this 3D space. There was something bigger that I felt was important. But I, my, my dad did not like heart stuff. You know, the words that he would say would be the type that would break any boy that had feelings or cried. So I learned to put all that away, to go to my mind and to be somebody that thinks a lot, researches a lot. That's the value. This has no value. And so I, I was broken for so long because I was disconnected. And coming back to the heart is a, a long journey for somebody that's built their whole life around their mind and their brain and thoughts. And, and so I'm still digging through the walls, but I've always felt like there's this bigger expansion of who I am, but not just me, everybody. And we're just clouded by uh, ideas and, and, and so forth. So, yeah, I've always felt like for me, I've wanted to inspire, motivate, and educate others. But uh, there was a time, of course, many years where I, I still felt that, but I didn't know what to inspire them on other than making right. money. And so, yeah, I think it's always been there, even if it was hidden for a long time. And I, I believe that's in everybody to, to a certain extent. Um, and I think that's our job is to like 
ignite that, to awaken it, to unleash it, all those cool, I mean, that's where those words, you know, unleash the power within, you know, awaken the giant within. There's only so many ways you could draw a square. And even when you look at the Bible, you know, um, it's all there, even though there's some stuff that may not have been as uh, pleasant. I think there's great messaging in there. Um, You know, one of the things, you know, to whom much is given, much is expected. Um, And what I look at that as well, and it's not just about tithing and that kind of thing. I think we are given that freedom of choice and we can choose whatever emotions, whatever states, however we show up. And that has huge impact on not only our lives, but also the people we can connect with. And, you know, that like attracts like things. So if we're walking around angry, we're going to, co- we're going to collect and attract angry people. Absolutely. And what's so interesting is, is, you know, it's not, it's going down like the a little bit matrix rabbit hole, but you know about the RAS, right? The reticular activator system it, algorithms on Facebook. It's a digital RAS. You engage on like negativity and then Facebook algorithm goes, oh, you want more negativity. Here's, we're going to put more of that in your timeline. When you engage in the, you know, the good stuff and all that, Facebook just goes, oh, you want more of that. So I think the, the key in, in what you're talking about is by when you get heart centered and you can break down those walls and come from that place, you're going to connect to more hearts connect with more love, connect with more acceptance. Um, and then the judgment goes away. Absolutely. And I think that's the key. I love that example, by the way, the RAS and Facebook, because it's so true. I noticed here's the fun, funny thing, because I don't particularly like social media, but building a business online, you kind of have to be on it. And because I have so many different types of people around the world who have come to my Facebook, I don't have a target group. They're very unique. Mm-hmm. So there's always battles on my Facebook. And um, I realized there's a lot of negative and you can get sucked into that and get upset because of the way it keeps showing up. So that's a very, very good point. Um, and, and the other thing I wanted to state is, you know, learning to love people regardless of what they think, feel, or say about you is probably the hardest thing in the world to do. But I think that's the magic. And I know uh, I was talking to somebody the other day that talked about, I think his name's uh, Lester Le- Levinson. With the Sedona method, something like this. Okay. Anyway, yeah. apparently he, he changed his whole health. They sent him home to die with cancer. And he, he just started discovering what made him happy. And he thought it was when people loved him, he was happy. But he discovered it. that's not true at all. The mm. truth is he was happy when he loved people. And so he healed himself through that and then really elevated himself with understanding when we get to that place of everybody is me, I can love everybody and not worry about what they think, feel, say, or do. That is a real powerful place. So I think that's the intention we should look at. And I don't know all the answers on how to get there when people are going to, you know, beat you in the head or kill you. You know, all those things are challenging, but we just got to take one step at a time, I guess. And that's where, yeah, that's where I think our work is so important is awareness. You know, we, it's, it's, I, I, the, the thing is, it's so complex. We're always going to be learning. Even the masters are learning. Like, I think the more I learn, the, re- the, the more I realize, the less I actually know. And yes. the more I need to be even more open and ask even more questions. And especially if I say those three words, I know that, I, then I, my brain goes, okay, now you're, where's this katoma? Because you just 
said you know one thing, which means there's a whole bit of other stuff you're, you're not aware of. Um, and getting into that place of openness. And, and that's the challenge because when we see, like, like our daughter, we have a five-year-old, you know, she has a five-year-old's model of the world. And she'll want to do certain things. And, and as someone who's older than five, we know the consequences of what may happen. And then the balance of, well, how do, you know, do we let her feel the pain of whatever? Like, how much do we shield? And I think part of what has happened as well, looking at kind of where we're at right now, culturally, I think potentially because people started having children at a later date, they wanted to be perfect and they shielded people thinking they were loving. Yeah. When they're, that, that's not always the most loving thing to do. The most loving thing to do would be to also allow them to know what's really going on. And I think that may be part of the, because th there was like a weird thing, like for me, when all the, the, con the concept of racism, I didn't really see it a lot growing up and my world doesn't have it, but it, it exists. And I wonder if so many people were isolated from it because they were protecting from it or not, that it, that it was still there and kind of in the shadows getting stronger and then showing up for some people. Again, I don't know. I'm, I, I, I'm just asking these questions. And that happens in every area of life. That happens in business. It happens in relationships. It happens in spirituality where we're our model of the world. We're trying to fix, fit it into our model instead of expanding our model. I agree. And, you know, it's interesting because, yeah, I grew up in a neighborhood where we had, you know, Hispanics, we had black kids, we had me, and I had no real racism there because my family wasn't, that I recall, had any issue. I had kids over that were different races and, you know, whatever. But um, along the way, you know, I probably developed some because I think it's fear. And if you get accosted by certain groups, you develop a fear. It's a generalization. And, we can't help it. That's right. That's right. And that's probably why there's stereotypes. But yeah. then I, I sort of realized, too, that we as society, the news propagates this, but they look for differences to divide. And as NLP, I think you're, you're probably an expert here, but I, I, I've never taken a course on it, but I've been around it enough that mm -hmm. I know when you chunk up, you get agreement. Where you chunk down, you get disagreement because yep. very few people. So when they keep dividing us in the boxes, it's easy to create an ism to separate because we're never going to get wholeness when we keep separating ourselves. Like in the, in the, in the gay community, um, I didn't know. And I, I just thought gay meant I like guys versus girls. That was it. There's no, but no, now there's all these letters they keep adding to the end of the <laughs> LGBTQ. I don't know. And every time they do that, the tolerance disappears because now you're in a box and how can you look for commonality when we're looking at the differences? It's so true. And, and what's so crazy is we are so much more alike than we are different. And, and that's what's so, you know, one of the things that I, when Heidi and I, when we worked in the treatment center, one of the basic presuppositions that we would always have when we would meet somebody is we would look for what we love about them, what we appreciate about them, what is unique about them. And now I feel like we're being conditioned to look for the differences Yes. And like, it's so weird because like the, I celebrate the differences, right? Because that's how I grow. That's how I learn. But I also more importantly celebrate our similarities so that I can support 
so that I can, you know, hey, you know, we're on the same path. We're here to make a difference. You have, you know, like, it's so interesting because I think the more we segregate, the more we chop stuff up, hopefully, the more we'll find out we are the same. And I hope this is part of the natural evolution, um, you know, of, of some sort of spiritual enlightenment where we have to go through this process. You know, I'm, that's the only thing I can really hope for in this, a silver lining. You know, I'm, I'm happy that we're having the conversation. I had, uh, you know, a friend of mine who's he's a good friend. I had him on. He's black. And I just asked him, I'm like, dude, I'm sorry. Like, can you share? Like, maybe I'm missing something. What is, you know, what has been your experience? You know, and, and he shared. And I was like, yeah, okay, that's, that's messed up, you know. And, and I can see why that would be upsetting. Well, we've all had that. I'm not you know, like it's not making any, but that's not the time to do it. And I think that's the challenge where when, you know, it's like in any argument with your best friend or your wife or your husband or whatever. And then, you know, while they're sharing their pain, then you go, yeah. And, and then you tell them about your pain. Like, I don't want to, you know, like it's, it's it, like, did you ever see the video? It's not about the nail. No, I haven't. I'll send it to you. Um, and it's this, this woman, she's got a nail in her head. And she's like, oh, I'm just feeling this pain. And, and it's like, you know, right, this throbbing. And the dude's like, well, it's, you know, it's, you've got a nail in your head. She's like, hey, you know, don't, no, 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 don't try and fix it. Don't try and start going into this. <laughs> That's so funny. That's true. That's such a great metaphor of what happens in people's lives. Yeah. And, and, it's, and, and people genuinely care, so they want to fix it. Sure. Or they want to show us that maybe, you know, from their model, how they're not seeing it. And it comes across as denying the existence of the challenge. And, and it's, man, it's such a complex thing that people want a simple answer to. Yeah. And that's why they need people like you that can help parse it out and chunk up while chunking down at the same time is a, is a great example, as you're showing, because the chunk up is we're wanting happiness, we're wanting peace, we're wanting love, chunk, chunk down to some strategies, some mindsets, some beliefs, and start working on those to, you know, kind of peel away, as you were sharing earlier, what's preventing that. That's a good, a good note. I love that. And also, you know, I, I've been learning more. I think you might know I've done a lot of plant medicines and worked mm -hmm. with shamans and expanding my consciousness beyond anything I've ever done on the planet has really brought revelations. I could, you know, it's like the, the old quote that was like, he who knows does not say, and he who says does not know. And I used to think as a speaker, that meant if you talk a lot, you probably don't know a lot. And I, I kind of like, well, but then I didn't understand what it really meant until I did plant medicines. And I realized the reason that those who know cannot say is because there's no words ever. They can define the truth. Therefore, people that say are not even close to the truth. And so you have to experience that. And then what I realized in, in experiencing that is if I could keep my presence, my awareness, it depends where you're looking from. And so many people on the planet by dividing are looking from not consciousness and oneness. They're looking from the separated human who then sees everything as different, angry, a violation, whatever. They, they create all these compartments and I do too when I'm from that place but when we pull back and we're looking from everything is one in the quantum field there's only energy there's one life there's not your life my life there's only one and it's a manifestation of energy in different points but it's the same thing it's like I look at my hand if you just saw a finger you would see that's different than this finger 
But if you look further, it's one body and mm -hmm. it's all connected. And until we know that we're destroying the planet, we're destroying each other. You hate Trump, you hate yourself. They don't understand that all of this is so connected, but we only see that when we're operating from oneness and presence of there versus looking from the, the duality eyes of two eyes is separation. One eye inside of you is unity. Amen, brother. And what the example my wife uses is sometimes is like you're looking at a Renoir through a pee hole, uh, a pinhole. So you're, you're looking at all you see is a dot. You see this one thing and you may not like that dot. You may not like that color. You may not like all that. And it's not until you step back that you then can see the, the amazing tapestry that it is and the, the expression. And yesterday, you know, again, with the language, it's so powerful. Our, the power of language is limiting as well. Yes. That, that's the other thing. And I had some great friends on uh, yesterday, um, Laura Kay and Mark Wood, and they've been in music for you know, 30 years and, and they're amazing. And their child is a drummer in Shania Twain. And, and it's just they're, they're, they're crushing it, helping people. And the reason why they do it is because music has no words and yes. that you can express without words and that you can actually have even more of a holistic experience while there is words and lyrics and stuff but even then it's through, through you know melodies and harmonies and it's such a wider tapestry and this is why it's so important that we have the arts um, yes, to to be able to express to share what's going on and hopefully you know one of the things i think is interesting about art and why it's so important is that it's so subjective yes and you can suspend judgment, you can have an opinion, but you can not prefer, like I love um, uh, Dolly, like Salvatore Dolly is like my favorite artist and this guy, uh, Roosh, just like really weird stuff. Not everyone's preference. Some people like other stuff that I don't necessarily prefer. That doesn't make it good or bad. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think that's where I think we need to get is to look at everyone as a piece of art. And you can have a, you have a preference, you know, but that, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with having preference. Like there's some people who don't like personal development. Absolutely. My mom hated that stuff. She's like, they're always screaming. Just like your preachers. They're always screaming. I'm like, well, I'm, I like a little bit louder than you do. <laughs> right. And, but some people may find it in church. Like my dad is a big Catholic. He loves, that's his, his thing. And I don't make him wrong for it. I don't go as much as I, you know, he would like me to. And, you know, I find my connection with, with God and, and all of that differently. Um, but if we could all relax and allow people to go in, inward to find how to release their yeah. authentic self, yeah. it would be a game changer. It's really, it's really good, too. You, you mentioned something there that I wanted to uh, go off of. Oh, sorry. Um, no, it's okay. I lost it. It'll probably come back. But... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I didn't want to interrupt, but it was it was kind of off the point that you were talking about just a second ago. Art, we were talking about art, subjective. Well, that, that um, was it, art. Yeah. So you mentioned that we talked about differences separating us. But so here, here we go again. This is what my big intention is as I sit down to meditate. First of all, I ask myself, who am I? And I keep asking that again and again so that the words disappear. The only thing that's left is I. And the I that is me is not the small I. So then I start to look at, like, there's a lady that I see over here in Las Olas. Her name's Cindy. She's homeless. And every time I see her, I go talk to her. And what I'm working on is looking in her eyes to see consciousness that it is me. Instead of looking at her beard that she has growing and the smelliness <laughs> and the cigarette butts, 
which has always separated me from the homeless or you know whatever it is we judge and instead of looking at it all as a symphony and I might not like all the songs but they're all beautiful but the thing is the symphony is the the wind the movement that causes all that to sing and the instruments are all different but together they all create this beautiful universe and that's what I'm realizing if I can come from that place of let me see consciousness myself in everybody's eyes and and it, it, don't let me judge everything you know and and let me see the difference is beauty even if I don't maybe like it let me learn to see it all as beautiful uh, that's brilliant. I have a friend of mine. Her name is Lords Lane. You should check her out. She's a musician, and she she has this foundation where she brings into schools. She has these programs where it's for little kids to kind of adopt their superhero identity, right? So their superpower is my superpower is honesty. My superpower is freedom. You know, whatever. And it's brilliant. But every once in a while, she has these posts, and she's like, I see beauty. And she'll just take a picture of whatever's going on and it could be, you know, like something that by most standards wouldn't be beautiful, but she's like, I'm, I see beauty. And, and that's the, the choice again, to whom much is given, much is required, much is expected. Can we see right now the beauty in the pain? Can we, and then the question is, I look at, um, you know, using music as an example, like pain as a blue note. You know, playing as the dis the pain is the dissonance that resolves into the, you know, when you take that, you put that pressure on, you put that blue note and you're like, ooh, it's a little dissonant right there, right? But then when it resolves and you're like, ooh, oh, that feels so good. Um, it's like getting a massage, a, a painful massage. At first it's painful, right? But you know when you get through it, it's, it's a necessary way to get out the toxins and all of that. It, and I know that's it's almost hyperbole with what's going on right now because it's so serious, yet we can't change what's going on right now necessarily Absolutely. or what's already happened. We can only change our relationship with it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and again, it comes back to don't – you can see the world the way it is. I guess what it was is that, well, you can change what you're looking at by the way you look at it. Right. Right. And so, um, yeah, I totally agree with that. And the, the interesting thing is, again, every time I'm coming back to that, duality of pain you know the pain gives us the contrast to feeling good like a massage so you have always these contrasts as long as we're in human biogenetic suits living in third dimensional space we're going to have duality and we love the label one thing good one thing bad and that's why we have so much problem in the world because men have been trained not to be okay with their emotions not to be you know these things yep. so a lot of the problem is the fact that men could not feel and therefore they don't feel the wars did this. They tell them not to feel. And then we got a bunch of men that don't feel they pass that on to their kids. And now we have a messed up family unit. And I, I started to realize, and really it was a, a, plant, a plant, I'll just put it this way, a psychedelic, the most powerful in the world, but I've never experienced unity until this. And when I experience myself as all things without seeing everything, but just knowing everything, then I realized we're all really one. And there is no separation. The pain and the good feelings are the same. Everything's the same. But as long as we are using brain and mind, we're always looking at duality. It's hard to understand unity. And so coming from that place and, and you know, resting in our true nature, Yoga Nidra does that for the, for the, for the good example. As I always use the example of the wave and the ocean. If you think of consciousness as the ocean and you're going below the ocean, 
you don't know anything going on. There's no movement. It's just like the air around us is just isness around. But when you go to the top of the ocean, there's energy, there's movement. The wave is coming out and there's different sizes, different colors, different lengths of life. Mm -hmm. and, and, and a lot of people think, well, look, there's the wave and they separate it from the ocean. But the wave has never left the ocean. It will never return to the ocean. It is still the ocean. It's just taking a form and that form we start to judge and that's where we think, well, it, it's not the ocean. And, and we're always consciousness wearing this mask, this persona. Yeah. And, you know, I thank you. This is, this is like the, the duality that we have as well as the consciousness and then the other than consciousness, the, the ability to think and the ability to have this conversation and separate and that's the challenge. That's the goal. Um, and I, one of my, it's just a theory and, or just a, an analogy for me is like our bodies are governors for our spirits that we can manifest levels of joy and bliss and levels of pain that are immeasurable. And our bodies are actually the training wheels to slow us down from creating that instant bliss, which would be great, but we could also create that instant pain. We could choose heaven or choose hell. Um, and our, the journey that we're on right now is to navigate it. And our bodies actually are like these slow computers that are like able to, you know, that the, like our bodies are like Commodore 64s. So I'm going to date myself yeah. here. Um, and like, you know, the universe is like the supercomputer that we can't even run the program. We could have tastes of it. We could have bits of it. And then when you're, you know, working with, uh, you know, Mother Earth and the plant medicines and so forth, you have larger tastes and you're getting moments. And then we're back into this. And that's the, the duality and dichotomy of existence. And that's not to spiritually hijack what's going on with people. It's just kind of where some people are at and what our ultimate goal is, is that unity. You know, if you think about it, that's what we're asking for. Everyone's going, we want to be equal. Right. We are equal on another plane. And then, then people go, oh, you're spiritually hijacking. And then it becomes yeah. uh, like, I'm not, you know, so it, it's, you can't ask a five-year-old to, you know, fly a plane. Um, you know, you can't ask me to fly one either because I don't know. <laughs> no, no lie. It's funny, the, the Guru Dev, what he said one day was really interesting. He, he said, I love that you're at the ashram because you have the ability to reach people I could never reach because they'll judge me by my robes or by the spiritual stuff. He goes, too many people judge the present by the wrappings and they don't understand the gift. He goes, but you can use languages and you're around different people. So the more I'm looking at this, I realize the woo-woo scares people sometimes. So I, I'm, I'm, you talked about language earlier and how simple it is like Sanskrit's I guess the most complex language on the planet and it can it can give a better picture of truth than English but if we can help people understand with more scientific language that they don't feel like it's spiritual hijacking that would be nice I don't know exactly how to do it yet but I, I think as quantum physics shows more and more of energy versus particle mm -hmm. and these things then they start to maybe get it more than um the yogis used to talk differently, but it's the same thing. Well, and unfortunately, I think too, and, and we're always guilty of it. I'm always in process. I screw up all the time. I'm, you know, like I'm, 
I'm a neophyte when it comes to, you know, being spiritually uh, expansive. Um, I feel like sometimes we're like, our role is to be Mr. Miyagi and our also our role is to be young Daniel to, you know, paint the fence, wash the floor, do that and not be worrying about why just yet. Um, yes. And, and that's sometimes cause I, I just, that's such a brilliant, cause that's the way I looked at what we were doing with the, with some of the people in the program, you know, I want to say it to them. They just put, finally they'd come, they go, Oh, I see why you did what why you do it that way or whatever. I'm like, yeah, I, I Miyagi'd you. You know, I just had you wash the fence. And for us, it was dancing in the morning. Like every morning we would have the, our clients, we had club rehab. And every morning we would have a dance party. And, and they're, you know, they're in treatment. They just got out of detox. They don't want to go up, you know, come in and dance at 7.30 in the morning, right? But there was reasons for it, right? And then finally, and then we have them jumping up and down and doing the affirmations and doing the board breaks and, you know, the vision boarding and all of these things. And at first, the woo-woo-wee, they're like, oh, you know, this is stupid. And then they come full circle and be like, oh, that was wash the, paint the fence. That was wax the car. Got it. And then they can apply it. How do we do that in a grander scale is, I think, just keep doing what we're doing and ask the right questions. Good. good. You might remember, maybe I shared this story, but when I went up to the ashram, I was very angry because, you know, I used to be a millionaire and I'm in my head about what I used to be. Mm. So the first thing they always do at the ashram is they put you in the kitchen duty to wash dishes. Yep. And of course, that's how I started making money when I was 12 to make my own money to go to my So did you get triggered? Oh, I was so triggered. In fact, <laughs> we had a yogi. She was a very bad cook and she burnt every pan in the ashram. And I was there till 11 at night. I'm really pissed off washing these pans, cussing. And I remember a yogi came up to me and goes, what's wrong with you? I turned around and said, I used to be a millionaire. This is bullshit. I was just going off. And he said to me, you know, you, you know what? You're not a millionaire now. What you are is a man standing in a forest washing a pan. And when you can find presence, peace, and joy in that, you'll have everything. Well. It's meditation and motion. And he walked away. And I didn't get it then because I was in my head trying to filter that. Like, what's that mean? How am I going to? You know, but then through the yoga nidra process, you know, uh, in yoga nidra, when you're laying there and they do this guided meditation, your body falls asleep. So you're not thinking anymore. There's no judgment of who I am, what I am, money or anything. You're just oneness, but you're still conscious of it. Mm -hmm. You're just not judging anything. And you realize in whatever moment you can be everything you need to be. It's not about doing it. It's about being in it. And I think that's why that old thing before enlightenment chop wood, carry water, after enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. Nothing changes in the external world. What changes is our perspective of what is going on. And that's all that needs to change inside of us. Amen, brother. And, and that's, it's, that's conscious transformation as well when we're, because change is going to be automatic anyway. Like we can't, the world is changing right now. And the, the question that you started sharing earlier about how could I be more authentic? How could I be me? Who am I? By asking these guided questions, that is where it leads us to our ultimate outcome, right? I mean, those power of questions, because you could have been sitting there as well, like, you know, how could I have lost it all? Why am I such an idiot? Why? Right. And then ask and you shall receive. And then, well, because, and then you could have all of these, you know, you could continue to program yourself and, own that as your identity. Yeah. 
And I did that for a while, so I know I, that's exactly what I, that was not serving me very well. <laughs> it never does. And, you know, I think that the biggest gift that we can continue to give others is to open people's minds to the power of what are the habitual questions we're all asking. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's a challenge because sometimes there's not an answer and we want an answer now. Um, and that's maybe we just need to find a different question. Um, and a lot of times I think it's the presupposition in that question, right? So a lot of times we we're asking, and we just look at marketing and all that. We're, that's where we got to clear our minds is not be inundated because that's what marketing does is ask, you know, have you asked questions or they're giving you answers. And of course, no one would advertise a, a diet program. This is going to be really hard, really challenging. It's going to be uncomfortable. The food is horrible and you're probably going to be hungry a lot of the time. Sign up now. You know, no one would do it. They'd be like, I don't want that. Like, I want the quick, easy way. And well, now there's a question you're asking. What are you asking for the quick, easy way? Or are you looking for the best way? Yeah. And the funny thing about that example, the ones that buy it would probably have tr- tremendous results because they're willing to do the work. And, you know, you won't get you have a smaller group. The sales, but you'll get a better results. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I look at this as, you know, the work that we do as well. And, and not to sound cliche, but it's such a beautiful, amazing movie is The Matrix. And we're just giving yes. people the option, red pill or blue pill. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and we're, that's all we can do is, is give you the opportunity. What, you, what we do with once we take the red pill, you know, I love that. You know, I'm only showing you the truth. I'm not solving the problem. Yes. It's up to you. And we're all Neo. And I see that coming up more and more today. You know, when did that come out? Like the 80s or was that 90s? It was in the oh, 90s, I think. Yeah. So, so ahead of its time. And today we see... People are even saying all the time, the matrix is falling. And I've never seen in my life, you know, and, and I'm sure you the same, such waves of what's going on on the planet with, with division and anger and separation and things falling and the, ba- the banking system and all these different things. But I, I try to tell people that it's okay because our consciousness is expanding and we cannot have the same structures in place on this planet if we're going to grow. Right. As Einstein, I think, that said you cannot solve the problem at the same level of thinking that created it. And we've got to, last night I was watching Vishon and he said, there's a phase called beautiful destruction. And I thought, wow, that's pretty powerful because a lot of us go through that where in the moment it seems so painful. It seems horrible, but then something beautiful, like maybe a baby being born, it's very painful, I'm sure. Um, but then something beautiful is coming out of it. And that's, that's what we got to understand. And if we put our energy into that, we can change this planet by understanding and waking up that the power is not out there and it's not in our leaders and it's not in anybody. It is in our 7.5 billion people that wake up or even just a small percentage can wake up and impact very quickly the rest of them. Amen. And, and uh, I, you know, I'm proud to be on the journey with you to do whatever we can. And, you know, I, I hope, and pray that at least if people don't get or appreciate where people in this movement, people in the personal development movement, where they're coming from, that they at least will appreciate that their intentions are pure. Um, yes. And that we have different strategies. I mean, I dealt it with, you know, with Tony, you know, people, you know, being the biggest guy in the personal development on the planet, people love to try and take him out. Um, yeah. And they don't know him. 
you know, and, and they know they know nothing. And when I was working directly with him and, and out in the field, it'd be so crazy. You'd see that what people think of Tony or people in the personal development world, it's all snake oil. It's all whatever. And you know, okay, that's, that's cool. I, you know, I'm not, I, I'm not here to convince you. Otherwise I'd love to give you a taste of it, you know, come check it out. But you know, that's all I could do is, is lead you to the water. I can make you thirsty. Right. And hopefully that's what we do, but not going to make you drink. I'm not going to shove it down your throat because then you're going to resent it. And that's not how we roll. Rather have you go, huh? Tell me more. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the funny thing I've learned because I used to tell everybody in my seminars and learning how not to be the uh, person that tells you the way you should do it, which is what I grew up doing because, um, you know, especially when I started speaking, that was the training. You, you give a lecture, you don't let people talk because they'll open a can of worms. So I learned how to just be the teacher, which I didn't like in school. I struggled in school because they were always telling. Never <laughs> and then you became it. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then I was struggling. Yeah, I was already dyslexic and everything else. So that didn't work for me. And I'm telling other people, but uh, because I thought I knew a lot when my dad kind of made those ideas that I wasn't smart and whatever. So I went on this journey to study, study, study research. And so I became very intelligent in the mind. Um, so I wanted to share, I always know what's right, but then that was, I guess the biggest thing I had with the plant medicines is when I had the experience, I realized I don't know anything. Mm. And, and then going into be coach as a coach, you're not telling people you're asking questions to pull out of them what they already know, but they're just covering up and they forgot. Right. And so the, the asking of questions, I think is the most powerful thing we can do because once we think we know we've lost it, you know, I think it's when we don't know and we keep asking that we find a closer opportunity to, to know truth, even though, we probably will never define it here. Uh, that, yeah, well, we're back to the language. Once we try and define it, it, we're locked into the limits of the language to begin with. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, one of the things I always start my, my you know, trainings and whatever events I have, I'll start out with, look, don't believe me. Like, don't, don't believe anything I say. You know, just try it on. Because if I tell you something, it doesn't mean anything. Right. But when you tell you something, when you ask the question and then give yourself the answer, it's going to mean something. And again, this is just from my model of the world. I, I'm still my model is still growing. So who knows? I might be telling you something now and sharing something that I learned that a year from now, maybe old news or maybe I, I may go, oops, you know, I, <laughs> and I'm OK with that. I'm OK to go. Oh, I made a mistake. You know, I. I was not maybe 100%, maybe I didn't do enough due diligence or I learned a new way. Um, and that's, that's where I think we all could be benefit from as we get to a place of maybe changing our mind. Yeah. No, no, maybe it could be that too. And, and that's the challenge. Us to do it. I, yeah, from being hard and rigid, I'm not gonna change to, maybe I'm looking at the world differently. Uh, or maybe I'm looking at the world wrong, or not maybe wrong, but maybe I'm looking at it from only one dimension. And the more we open it up, the more we find our own truth about, you know, the, that journey. And I just want to, first of all, do it for myself to keep learning, I guess, more about me. I don't think I need to keep learning more and more to overwhelm my brain because that will distract me from who I am. But I want to keep learning from my experience of isness so that I can be more accepting, uh, like the ocean, everything, versus mm -hmm. the wave that's here and gone. And, you know. Beautiful. Well, I mean, I... I'm on that journey with you, brother, and I, I, I look forward to, I'd love to, you know, find a way to do some events together because I think that, you know, 
I, I'm a big collaborator. I look at now, especially now, um, like the super groups of the old days, like mm. the Titans would get together and create a super group. Um, and then rap, the reason why rap blew up the way it did in the nineties, they did the same thing. They all supported each other. They would be on each other's records. They would, you know, cross pollinate their fan base and they became, you know, juggernauts in the industry awesome. because it, it wasn't one person, you know, and you're seeing even Tony starting to do it now. Tony recognizes it. So he's doing those things with Dean and Russell and he's, he's expanding his base because he knows that there's, he'll be more effective when we work together as opposed to each of us being an individual and fighting for our, you know, whatever, you know, it's, uh, that's where it becomes not a we, it becomes a me. Yeah, the competition model, and that's I think was taught in the industrial school model, is you gotta win now, growing up where I did, the, the the kids that had dads there that were very competitive would kind of beat their kids up if they didn't win. I didn't have anybody around, and I was not winning usually. Um, I didn't like the model. I felt like I'm always a loser, and there's a winner. There's no other winner. There's only one. And although people think that's good, and I I, I know on a on a level of consciousness that serves the planet in economics and competition, it's good for winning for one. But when we move to a collaboration model. I had this vision the other day because I've, I've always wanted to not come back to earth. Like if there's reincarnation or mm -hmm. book of the dead and you know, I've studied all this. I'm like, well, I really don't want to do this over and over. Like I right. like to learn the lesson. <laughs> and so I thought, well, if I can just enlighten myself enough and I don't have to come back, then I have this revelation that, well, I don't win until all sentient beings win mm -hmm. because they are me. And as long as there's suffering on this planet, I haven't won anything. When I win, everybody wins. And that to me is the collaborative model. And when we get money out of the picture and we get the things and the status, we can start to say, all that will come anyway. But what's most important is that we heal ourselves, which is everybody, and they'll heal the planet and heal our world. Well, amen, brother. And I, I wonder if sometimes as well, like I, I believe in, in healthy competition in that, um, like as an example, when, uh, I was in this band called Fat and you know, we're signed to A&M and Sony and, and we, we were one of the, and I say this with humility, one of the best live bands there were at the time. And this is in the 90s and early 2000s. And the reason why we were so amazing performing is that we competed with each other on stage to be the biggest like exemplar of showmanship. But it wasn't like you win, you lose. It was, let's just have fun. Who can jump higher? Who could have more energy? Who could like, and we, and it was a playful, it was fun. Yeah, and then great. the other sense of, of, of healthy competition is when we all, all win, when we're holding each other to higher standards and it's not like a dominating win. Now, when it comes to sports and stuff, that's a little bit different. I believe there should be because it, then it gives you a bar to challenge yourself. It's the meaning we give to, it's not that someone's better. It's not that someone's just like, okay, in that moment, that person outperformed. That person may have been more present and was more connected. And now we have an exemplar. So instead of beating ourselves up and we accepted it as just part of nature and celebrated when, you know, because like as a great example, I, I remember like I studied martial arts as well. And I remember growing up watching the martial arts movies. Yeah. And, and after the fight, they'd be like, ah, I got to know you. This is good. You know, you, you fought well. And there was no, 
it, it was it was an acceptance of okay you you bettered me this time and yeah. now i learned from you yes. and i i wonder if we could have that relationship even more if that would support us in maybe even competing who could get enlightened faster and then that. lead the way and you're right in the, in the sense of uh, competition in the sense of competing with myself to always be expanding better right. myself, competing healthy to call others up uh, to a higher level is amazing I, I i did another early on some downloading on this and i realized that a lot of the people that run the planet are very competitive but i, I believe when i saw the psychosis of a lot of the kids when i was going through football or whatever and they had the win no matter what because that was so critical for them that I, I realized that a lot of people that start to run big organizations become these tyrants who don't care. They just want to win. They want to have a bigger yacht, a bigger, mm -hmm. so that's it. unhealthy. Yeah. 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 And I think a lot of those problems in the world are egoic competition, but you're right. I think if there's a way and there is to have healthy competition and teach that to have healthy internal competition with yourself to just expand but also to learn to rest too. That's one thing I never did. I always had to compete. So I was always doing, doing to get more, to be more. And I never took the time to just be and do nothing. And it's and, hard for me. And maybe this, you know, I just, a few of my friends that I've spoken to about this and even my wife and I, you know, there are blessings in even this shutdown. Oh, yeah. uh, Cause again, we couldn't change it. Right. So there, there are some blessings that we, we found from it. Uh, a friend of mine, I don't know if you know, Gene McNaughton, uh, he was Tony's VP of sales or uh, for many years. And then he was the president of success resources. And um, he's like, man, I was going and going and going and going. He goes, it was actually great for me in many respects because I got to actually, you know, stop for a minute Huge. and find out what's most important. And, and that hopefully, and maybe, and not to go down, you know, we've got to wrap up, but to go down another rabbit hole with, you know, maybe some of the intentions of the, the energies to that created what's happening right now that maybe yeah. there's backfiring a little bit because, and I think that's why they're doubling down on some more, you know, agitation of other energies because at first, you know, it, while I saw a lot of opportunities for pain and it's going to happen for addiction and abuse and all of that, I think people were able to represent themselves and I think they, you know, as much as there was division around mask, no mask, it's real, it's not, whatever, um, there were people who were like, well, okay, but hold on, I'm starting to get some energy back. I'm starting to get some love back. I'm starting to spend some time with my family that I wasn't before. I'm starting to be able to reprioritize and yeah. find a way to balance moving forward in a, an ecological way, in a sustainable way. And then, you know, the, the powers that be may have been like, oh, this isn't going to work. We got to throw some, you know, fuel on a fire here. Yeah, and part of that balance is I, I was reading articles. I was looking for the good. I posted on my wall. Let's, let's, let's list the top things you see that's a benefit of this for you. And it's interesting, like, you know, dolphins coming back. The, the canals cleared in Venice. They weren't dirty. We had animals in Na Yellowstone National Park coming down. They've never in history been down that low because there's no people so the sky started to clear pollution dropped. So we start to realize how we, if we're not conscious, become a cancer on the world because what we're doing is we're not in harmony like all the animals are. And, and, and this is really interesting, the secret life of trees. When, when the animals come to eat the trees and there's too much, the trees send out a signal through the roots to other trees to produce chemicals that will kill off some of those herds 
and now it balances again. We don't do that. We kill off everything. And we're so unconscious about the way we're going. And so I think for me, for example, this whole tiny house thing is really cool. You know, because I think I don't need a big house. I've had big, big houses are just a lot of space that's wasted. I want effective, beautiful that I, I can have a couple, but then you travel and you experience life and you're not, mm -hmm. everybody's so debt in debt in America because they've been conditioned to get into debt. Other countries are not so bad uh, as we are. And, and I, I realized that maybe people sort of realize they don't need as much when they have the right things. They don't need as much of the wrong things that have been sold as the right things. Well, I, I, another addiction. There you go. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we're, we're addicted to, to stuff. And, and now, in fairness, men in general are thing-oriented anyway. So it's just kind of like we, we just like trinkets. We like the, the latest gadgets. We, it's just kind of a part of our DNA. And it's not being sexist. It's being DNAist. Like, it's just, you know, it's kind of one of those things. It's like men oftentimes are more engineers wanting to fix things, wanting to yeah. – and that comes into relationships as well. You know, it's, it's just, well, there's a problem. Let's fix it. Yep, exactly. Um, wow, uh, we're just we're just have to hang out more in general and just you know have these conversations, record them. We'll have a book when we're done. Um, I love, it. love it, dude. Thank you so much. Uh, we're going. We've gone really with brilliant conversation. How can people get in touch with you if they want to learn more about authentic elevation? If they want to connect with you to to work with you. Awesome. Yeah. Well, there's a few ways. The first way uh, is the Facebook group. You can just do the groups. It's Authentic Elevation. And if you go there, you'll also get my free book, which is called Unleash. We talk about Unleash, Unleash the Possibility Within. It's a short read, but uh, it hopefully will give you some good techniques that I've used and other people use to transform their internal life. Uh, my website's also Authentic Elevation. You get the free book there as well. Um, but I'd love to yeah, talk to people. And uh, in, in, the, in the Facebook group, I do a lot of content. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you're in there all the time, adding tremendous value. Um, so I, I love seeing you when you're up there, and and uh, you know, I, I, when I have the time, I tune in, and it's always spot on, brilliant, heartfelt, present, and authentic. And you know, I'm I'm blessed. We're blessed to have you share yourself authentically. And um, yeah, I look forward to to more rock with you. Uh, so thank you so much. And I always end with this. I love you for who you are and who you aren't. Good. Well, thank you very much, Doug. I appreciate you inviting me. It's a wonderful conversation. There's nothing better than having uh, conversations like this that resonate at the same frequency and exploring different areas. So I, I appreciate it. It's been a great time, and I look forward to doing more with you uh, on my, my uh, journey and uh, as well as yours. And vice versa, brother. Awesome. I will see you very soon. And um, obviously, anything I can do to support you further, always feel free to, to reach out. Uh, but we're going to grab coffee or something uh, soon. You're, you're too close not to. Yeah, absolutely. All right, brother. Appreciate you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks so much. Cheers. Thank you so much for stopping by and hanging with us and remember to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast right here and we look forward to serving you even more remember download your free guided hypnotic meditation at guidedhypnotic.com that's guidedhypnotic.com where you'll get your free anxiety busting meditation 
We look forward to serving you, and if you have any questions, comments, please feel free to reach out. All right, we love you for who you are and who you aren't. God bless.